It is so good to see all of you here tonight. What a great group. Thanks for coming out. Welcome to Women in the Word Summer Study. I'm Deb Haygood, part of the Women in the Word teaching team for the summer, um, along with Kathy Harrelson and Wendy Lyon, Amy Foster, and Misty Denman. And I am so thrilled that you are here and that you've chosen to be a part of our summer study. So thank you for coming out. I love the summer studies because, like Holly said, they're relaxed. You know, you can bring, I've got my flip flops on, you can be relaxed, wear your shorts, your workout. No one has come yet in a bathing suit and cover up, but try it. Um, And if you're coming from work and you're coming dressed up, that's great too. We all love to see um, women dressed up, so anything works. So it's relaxed, come. Um, No homework. We come to the tables and there's discussion questions. And those questions are just meant to kind of give you a heads up on what we're looking at tonight, sort of a head start thinking about what our lesson is. Um, They're not meant to intimidate you or put you on the spot in any way. So we just want you to come, feel comfortable, be at home here at the summer study. So if you think, hey, I just want to chill out, I don't really want to answer those questions, just, then just tell your group, I'm taking a pass tonight, I'm just going to listen to you. And you can tell them, Deb said so. But um, we really love to hear each other's comments and thoughts, and so I really hope that you do participate, but I did want to say that to you. Don't run out of here thinking, I'm never coming back to that scary group. Um, <laughs> Come back and take a pass and say, I'm just going to listen. So that is fine, too. I hope you had fun with those questions or uh, at least had uh, some thoughts about them uh, for our lesson tonight. You know, this summer we are uh, calling our study, Everyone Loves a Good Story. And really, we all do love a good story, whether it's on TV or in the movies or a book that we read. We all love good stories. And it starts as little children. We like to hear people read stories to us or tell us stories. And we really love it when our name, when our name is in there. You see little kids and you put their name in and their eyes light up because they're a part of the story. You know, when I was young, a young reader, um, I lived in a little town outside of Chicago, uh, first grade to fourth grade. So I was just learning to read, but our library had these little books. They were in blue bindings. They were, they were biographies that were simply written, and I loved them. I read them all. Because one thing about Chicago, my one memory, it was cold. It was cold. From about October to May, I was inside reading. And so I'd read these stories. I still remember stories about Abigail Adams and Dolly Madison, these great um, stories that have heroes that act with courage and conviction. And they do the right thing, even when it's hard. And I even liked fiction um, stories that had heroes in them. How many of you read Anne of Green Gables? Do you guys love that book? Yeah, she was a character and she was a great um, gal. Loved those stories. And then I've said this many times, when I was in fourth grade, we moved to Miami, Florida, and I used to sit in church, and while the pastor was giving the sermon, I would read the stories in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament stories because they are stories of adventure and excitement. They have intrigue and battles and they have love and romance. And so I would go through the Old Testament, read those stories um, sitting in church, and I loved them. You know the stories of Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Rachel and Joseph and his brothers and David and Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den, Queen Esther, and on and on. So many great stories in the Bible. In fact, the whole Bible is really a story. It's God's story. 
It's a, his story of love and salvation and redemption for mankind. Mankind is such a big word, but it means you and me. His story of love for you and me. And God, knowing that we love good stories, he tells us in the Bible through stories how he dealt with his people and how he revealed himself to them across the centuries. So this summer we're going to look at five different Old Testament stories that are really great. Some of them may not be quite as well known to you as others, but they're all very good stories. And they're stories with heroes that love God and they do the right thing even when it's hard. And even though they have weak points, they're not perfect. They have flaws and failings. In fact, it takes uh, some of them to a couple of times before they do the right thing. But through it all, we see God at work in them and through them. And we're going to learn a lot about God this summer. You know, who, um, how much uh, he loves us, who God is. You know, he loves you. And the Bible is God's story for you and about you. So I want you to look for yourself in these stories this summer. I want you to listen for your name as we go through these Bible stories. Um, listen for your name. Look for yourself in the story tonight as we um, look at Rahab and the spies. That's our story. You looked at your questions. It's in Joshua 2, so turn there. And I was wondering how many um, of you know the story of Rahab? How many of you have heard that story before? Lots of hands. Okay, is there anyone that came here tonight? They had never studied the story of Rahab before tonight. You're the ones I'm interested in. Cool, very cool. All right, you're going to love this story. This is a great story. Rahab is a woman of faith, and she is um, a woman of faith who acts on her faith in God. She's motivated by her faith. So I'm going to kind of tell you that as we jump into the story. So let's start Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shadim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Okay, stop. Now, when you're reading the Bible and you come into something like this story, I always want to know, so where is this? What's happening? What went before this? And so let's turn to um, just look over to chapter 1, and we're going to find out who's Joshua and where in the world is Shedem and, and Jericho, for that matter. So we're going to talk about all that quickly before we go into the story. So verse 1 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Okay, so we see here that Moses has died. Joshua is his assistant, and God is talking to him. God is getting ready to commission Joshua because he is going to become the leader of the Israelites. So let's see what he says. Verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, meaning the river, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Let's go down to verse 5. It says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And then he goes on in verse 8, and God says, This book of the law, that's the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. 
Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So we see here Moses has died and Joshua, his assistant, is now going to become the leader of the Israelites. And God is telling him, commissioning him, that they are going to go in and take over the land, take back the land that God had promised to Abraham uh, in Genesis 12. Um, The Israelites right now are camped on the east side of the Jordan River. You remember they've been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. Um, They had been enslaved uh, in Egypt for 400 years when God sends Moses to deliver them out of Egypt. So they cross the Red Sea, they go um, into the wilderness, they get the law, and it was God's plan for them to go on into the promised land. Um, But when they got to the edge of it, Moses sent in 12 spies and said, go look at the land. So when they come back, 10 of the spies say, hey, no way we can take that land. There's giants there. And two of the spies say, yes, we can. We can take the promised land if God is with us. But the Israelites, the people, they're scared. And they say, no, no, Moses, don't make us go. And so God says, fine. Wander in the wilderness for 40 years until this generation has died, and I will let your children go into the promised land. And so that is where we are. And interestingly enough, ladies, the two spies that said we can do it with God, one was named Caleb and the other, Joshua. Joshua is that other spy. So here he is, now the leader. They're on the banks of the Jordan. They're getting ready to go in and to reclaim the land. And let me tell you something about the people that are living in the land. They are wicked, evil people. They are against God in every way. They are idol worshipers, even sacrificing children in their idol worship. They are evil. Um, I read an old test, uh, commentary from a guy that lived 100 years ago, and I love the way they talk because he says, they were steeped in iniquity. Um, <laughs> that means they were full up with evilness. They were um, overflowing. They were bad to the bone, as we used to say in the 70s. So they were evil. They were evil. And God said in Leviticus, I will spew them out of the land. And that is what does happen. But at this point, they're on the banks. Moses has just uh, given them his last sermon, which is the book of Deuteronomy, and he reminds them in this of all the things God has done for them and that they are to do two things, remember God and follow him. Remember God and follow him. And then at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies Joshua becomes the leader, and that is where we are. And so I've got a map because we want to know where Shedem is. So here, I hope that's how you say it. I don't want to mess that up. But um, anyway, okay, here's my little handy-dandy. Here it is, right there, six miles east of the Jordan River. Here's the Jordan River. That's this squiggly line. You got the Sea of Galilee up here. You have the Dead Sea down here. There's Shedem. Here's Jericho on the west side, six miles in from the Jordan River. So I just wanted you to have that. Now, by the way, here's just this map really takes place, you see, in Joshua 13. This is after they've taken the land. So here, these names are the 12 tribes of Israel here. And we're going to, um, in just a second, see something about Rumagad and Naphtali. So we'll talk about that in just a second. But anyway, there's the map, and that's where they are. And so let's... Um, Keep uh, reading here about 
the story of Rahab. By the way, Jericho uh, is a city that has a thick, tall wall all the way around it with one gate going into it. It was like a fortress. And so it was key for Joshua and the Israelites to take this city as they travel into Canaan. So um, let's keep reading here. The rest of verse 1 says, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went, and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So Joshua sends out two secret agents, and they walk right through the open gate, it would seem, into Jericho. And we do not know how they get to Rahab's house. Maybe they said, hey, to someone, is there a place where we could lodge? And someone says, well, Rahab has a place, and she comes along with the food and lodging, so you might want to go there. Um, We're not sure. But we know that they somehow find their way to Rahab and her house of ill repute. What we do know is that it was God's providence that leads um, them there. I think maybe even to save Rahab more than anything else. So they get to Rahab's house, but it seems that they have not been well disguised in their trench coats because they're recognized. And someone goes to the king and tells them that here's these spies Um, from the Israelite camp in our midst. And so let's see what the king does. Verse 3. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that had been laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So we see Rahab gives the king's messengers a misleading answer. Um, She tells them that the spies left through the gate, go quickly even, you know, she embellishes, and you will find them. But in fact, Rahab had really hidden them under the flax that was lying out on her roof. Now, flax is a common crop back then because this is what they made linen from. So they would harvest the flax, they would cut it, it would be in stalks about three feet Um, long. They would soak it in water for a couple of weeks until they could pull the fibers apart, and then they would lay that out on a level place to dry. And so the roofs back then were flat, so it was a perfect place for them to lay out the flax, and it was also a perfect place for Rahab to hide the spies. And um, the king's messengers, they believe Rahab. We see them, they believe, they don't even search the house, they just rush off on this wild goose chase. And the first time you read this story, you have to think how interesting that this um, immoral Canaanite woman would hide these Israelite spies. Why does she do that? You know, we get a glimpse here of something very unusual about Rahab. She risks no telling what kind of punishment. In fact, it probably would have been death if the king had found out that she had hid the spies and lied to him, probably torture and then death. She takes that great risk because we see that Rahab aligns herself with the Israelites. She aligns herself 
with followers of God. So let's go on and find out why. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. Wow. What a testimony Rahab gives to these Israelite spies. She has heard of the power of God, and she believes in him. And first, she tells the spies the very thing they want to hear. She says, the Lord has given you this land. He's given you this land. You know, the battle is as good as over. Um, You are sure to be victorious. What a great thing for them to hear. This is exactly what God has just told Joshua. You will lead these people to inherit the land. Do not be afraid. I will be with you. And so she's telling the spies this very thing. Secondly, she tells them, we are all afraid of you. Everyone in this country feels hopeless, helpless. Everyone is melting in fear. Their hearts are melting in fear. This is just what the spies wanted to hear from her. This is music to their ears. What an encouragement to hear this, um, that the people feel like that. You know, their hearts are melting in fear. Have you ever melted in fear? Melted in fear. I have a story. Happened a little more than 30 years ago. I was in a shoe store that is close to my house. Not there anymore, but it was actually on Hewlin, right across from Hewlin Mall. And it was a little shoe store. There was probably five of us in there and the gal at the cash register. And I was sort of at the back. And in comes through the door a guy with a bandana mask around his face and a silver gun. And he begins to say, freeze and give me your money as he hands the bag to the um, gal at the cash register. So the people freeze. And, and, and I mean, it was pretty humorous because this elderly, and I was not elderly then, it was 30 years ago. But there was an elderly lady, and when he said freeze, she had her mouth open, and so she was like, you know, frozen. I, on the other hand, um, at first, have, and you want to know this about me, when there's trouble, I go to, n- to denial. First thing, denial. So I think to myself, because it was April 1st, hey, this is an April Fool's joke. But I quickly figured out that it wasn't. And so I began to melt in fear. I began to lower myself to the ground without even realizing it until he sees me and says, I said freeze. And so I freeze and my thighs were a little stronger then. (laughs) I was melting in fear. Um, it has a good good ending because here I am. Actually, they gave him the money. He went out the door, and then the police came. And that is a whole other funny story that I don't have time tonight. But that was pretty cute. Um, we were melting in fear. The um, people in Jericho are melting in fear. Why are they so terrified? Why are they so terrified? They have heard stories of the power of God. And Rahab mentions two of the stories here. And it's very interesting when she says, the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. That word there for Lord, that is the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh. Now, in the Hebrew language, they have lots of names of God, and you probably know that. It talks about the character of God in different ways, and so you have Adonai and Elohim and Jehovah Rapha and El Shaddai, and Yahweh is the name of God that is the Israelites' 
personal name for God. It's his personal name. It's the one and only true God of Israel. Yahweh um, also is the name of God that is most closely linked to God's redeeming acts in the history of his chosen people. Rahab mentions two stories, um, and they're stories that are linked with God's redeeming acts with his people. She calls him Yahweh. The first one is the Red Sea. You know that. Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, and God parts the Red Sea, and they walk through on dry land. And then the second story she tells, but, but the interesting thing about that to me was that had happened 40 years before this time, and yet Rahab knew this story. How did she know this story? You know, one thought is maybe these men that came through her house told these stories of God that they had heard. Because this story of the Red Sea was big. It had probably been spoken and, and passed on from person to person. And someone going through Rahab's house tells her this story of God and the Red Sea. And then she says, we also know a story about the two Amorite kings, King Sihon and King Og. And that had just happened. Um, not very uh, far in the past. So that was more recent. And you may not know that story. You can read the whole thing in Numbers 21 or in Deuteronomy chapters 2 and 3. And this is where Moses reminds the Israelites um, of this victory. And um, briefly, here's what happens. Moses has the children of Israel, all 2 million of them, and he asks King Sihon if they can pass through the land. There's a road. He says, well, stay on the road. And King Sihon says, no. No, you can't pass through. And so he gets his army and comes up against them. But God says to Moses, don't worry. I'm going to give you this land. In fact, on your verse sheet, we see God tell um, Moses in Deuteronomy 2, verse 31, Behold, I've begun to give Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to take possession that you may occupy his land. And the Lord our God gave him over to us, and we defeated him and his sons and all his people. Then he travels on north towards Bashan. And the same thing. King Og comes out and he's got his army and he's going to fight Moses. And God says once again, don't worry. I am going to defeat him and you will take over the land. And that is exactly what happens. Og is defeated and destroyed and God gives them the land. And that's where we see um, right here on the east side of the Jordan, we've got... um, Naphtali, Gad, and Reuben taking over some of this land. This is where King Sihon was. This is where King Og was. So she knows those battles. She tells them, and she says, we are so afraid. Um, The people have heard this, and they are melting in fear. They're terrified. And this is exactly what Moses had told had heard from God in Deuteronomy 2.25 on your verse sheet. God said, This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you on the peoples who are under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. And that is exactly what happens. But Rahab, she's putting her faith in God. What's faith? It's believing God. It's believing God is who he says he is. And Rahab puts her faith in God. She believes in Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. She recognizes and she believes that he is God in heaven above and on the earth below. He is Yahweh God. He is the sovereign God, the creator um, of the universe, the sustainer over all. Rahab believes in this one true living God, even though she has been brought up in an unbelieving 
pagan culture. I think that's amazing. She didn't have a mom telling her Bible stories. She didn't have a priest telling her about the sacrifices and the God. All she has is this little information about God, but it's enough for her heart to believe that God is the one true God. And so now we see why she hides the spies. Now we see why she chooses to align herself with God's people because Rahab has put her faith in God and her faith motivates all her actions. Her faith in God is the motivating force behind everything that we see in this story. And we also read that very thing is true because Hebrews 11.31 tells us this. Now, um, Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. This is the chapter that tells us about all the people with great faith. There's only two women that are mentioned there. One is Sarah. The other one is Rahab. Hebrews 11.31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So let's go on and see what other actions are motivated by her faith. Verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So we see that Rahab asks for merciful kindness to be shown to her family when the Israelites come to take Jericho. And come they would, and take Jericho they would. So she asks that they spare the lives of herself and her family. And um, Rahab has shown kindness to the spies. And the word that she uses there to deal kindly in verse 12 um, is a very interesting word. In Hebrew, it is hesed. Has said It means loyal love. It is steadfast or faithful love because uh, based on a promise, a covenant, or an agreement. Sometimes in the Old Testament we see this word has said used uh, um, in conjunction with God's covenant love for his people. And Rahab is asking for this kind of kindness. Um, on your verse sheet, I have Isaiah 54.10. You all can read that later. It talks about God's unfailing love. And that word there is hesed. Hesed. So she's asking for hesed, this covenant love, this um, special kind of kindness, loyal love to be shown to her and to her family. And she wants a tangible proof of um, this. She wants a guarantee of this agreement, a guarantee of life. And so the spies right away say, okay, it's a deal. Our life for yours, but don't tell anyone about this business. And when we win the battle, we will show you faithful kindness. We will show you said. I love these verses, not only because we see Rahab caring about the safety of her family. We don't know anything about what her family thinks of Rahab, whether they're embarrassed by her or whether they love her or how she is with her family, but she cares about them and wants them to be safe. I think she cares about their physical lives. I think she cares about her spirit, their spiritual lives. She wants them to be part of um, believing in Yahweh God. But I really love these verses because we see that Rahab believes in the mercy of God. 
She believes that God is merciful. Not only is God powerful and sovereign, but he deals with his people, with those who follow him, with kindness and mercy. And I think that's amazing. Here she's seen these things, the power of God. She's seen how he's destroyed Sihon and Og. And yet she knows that God is a God of mercy, that he cares for his people. What a great truth that is for us to hold on to today, that God is merciful. Do you see yourself in this story yet? James 3, um, on your verse sheet, 2.13, says this, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And in the NIV, there's an exclamation point, and I um, added that because I want to emphasize mercy triumphs over justice. And Rahab knows that God is a God of mercy. <clears throat> so let's go on and read how Rahab helps the spies escape. And we see that in verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear." And she said, according to your words, so be it. And then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And then they departed and went into the hills, and they remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. And then the two men returned. They came down from the hills, passed over, and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So you get the picture here. This wall of Jericho is very thick. In fact, houses are built into it, and Rahab's house is one of those. So she is built into this wall, and her window faces um, the outs on the outside of the wall, facing out into the countryside. And so through this window, she is going to let the spies down with the rope. They, they're going to either rappel down or hand over hand. They're going to go down the outside of the wall, and escape into the hills. And so she tells them to go and hide for three days so that the um, king's men don't find them. And then they tell her um, some more about the agreement. They give her a scarlet cord. That's the sure sign, the guarantee. And they say, tie this in your window. And they also say, don't, you know, it'll be on you to have your family inside this house. And um, they say, and do not tell anyone that we have come about these spies. And so Rahab does exactly that. She lets the spies down, they go to hide, and she ties the cord in her window. I don't think she wasted any time. What courage we see here with Rahab, with the spies and with the cord and the things that followed before the battle comes. She doesn't know what's going to happen, and yet she's got to get her family into her home. 
what courage we see um, here. I think Rahab's faith motivates her to help the spies escape, and Rahab's faith gives her the courage to do um, that and to tie the cord. Um, Rahab acts with courage. She acts with courage. And I want to say um, something else about this scarlet cord, because I think it is so interesting. It kind of gives us... um, some symbolism here. Now, first of all, it would be easy to see the scarlet cord against the sandstone walls of Jericho, so that makes sense. But I also think that there's some symbolism in this scarlet cord. It reminds us when the Israelites put the blood of the lamb over the doors so that the angel of death, that was the tenth plague, would pass over their homes and spare them um, from death. You know, we also are kind of reminded of something that's going to be in the future, and that's the blood of Jesus that's shed on the cross. And, you know, just like um, the symbolism of this cord, we celebrate the Lord's Supper by taking the cup. It is a reminder of how Jesus shed his blood on the cross as payment for our sin so that we might be spared from death, so that we might have life and life eternal with Jesus himself. So we think of all of that as we look at this um, cord and we're just reminded of how Rahab courageously ties that scarlet cord in her window. But what happens to Rahab after this? Now, I don't want to spoil anything because Kathy Harrelson is coming next week to tell us the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. So that's going to be pretty interesting. But I will tell you this. Rahab's um, faith... Uh, spares her, and she goes on to um, marry an Israelite named Salmon. And we know that because on your verse sheet, we have Matthew 1, verse 5. Now, Matthew starts his gospel of Jesus by putting in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And this is what verses 5 and 6 say. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. So we see here Rahab goes on to marry Salmon. Now we don't know anything about him except that he's from the tribe of Judah. And some uh, say that he might have been one of the spies. And I especially like that romantic thought, but <laughs> totally no evidence of it. Um, <clears throat> and then she goes on to have Boaz. And you can read the story of Boaz in the book of Ruth because Boaz marries Ruth. And he is a godly, obedient guy that follows the law of God, treats Ruth with sympathy and kindness. He marries Ruth. They go on to have a son, um, Obed. Obed has Jesse. And Jesse has David, the great king of Israel, the man after God's own heart. So Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David, and that makes Rahab the great-great-grandmother of King David, and it also makes her in the lineage of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. What a legacy that Rahab leaves. So what can we learn from this story of Rahab? You know, it's a great story, but why is it important? How is it relevant to me? Have you seen yourself in this story? I think that each of us will take away different ways to apply this story of Rahab in our lives because that's how the word of God is. You know, we learn one truth. Uh, Rahab was motivated by her faith in God. And then we take that truth and it's used in our life by God in many ways. Um, For me, there's two things um, that I really learned about Rahab in this story that stood out to me. The first one is Rahab doesn't let her past 
dictate her future. She doesn't let her past dictate her future. And just um, think for a minute about Rahab. You know, I don't want you leaving just thinking, oh, she was a courageous gal with great faith. You know, think about how God used her to help the spies and how it gave encouragement to Joshua. And think about who she was. First of all, she was a woman. Secondly, she wasn't just a woman. She was a Canaanite woman. Now, women weren't very important in those days. And we've already talked about the Canaanites were um, rebellious people against God, evil, um, practicing all sorts of idol worship, child sacrifice. She was a Canaanite woman. And not only that, she was an immoral Canaanite woman. It says she was a prostitute. And let me just uh, clear up some people, myself included, uh, when you study that story in King James, it calls Rahab a harlot. Now, in the Hebrew, harlot can also mean innkeeper. So, you know, we want to, like, kind of grab hold of that and say, oh, well, maybe she wasn't really a prostitute. But the problem with that is those two verses that we're, we're going to read one in a minute, the verse in Hebrews uses a Greek word, and it's prostitute. And there's no other definition for that. You know, and I think that's okay because we all come, I love the testimony, from backgrounds that have a lot of sin and, and messed up things in them. We also um, are like Rahab. We come to God with um, the stain of sin on us. So that's okay. Rahab was a prostitute. She was a woman. She was a Canaanite. But you know what? She had faith in the one true living God. And that trumps everything else. That trumps everything else. God is not concerned with what we've done in the past. He's not concerned with who we've been in the past, good or bad. What God wants is for us to follow him, to love him, to um, have faith in him, to have a relationship with God. That's what God wants of us. And he wants to, um, we are works in progress. He wants to um, change us into the beautiful daughter of the king that we were meant to be. And you know, sometimes that change takes place gradually. Um, I get impatient with myself, and I should, because I'm not young anymore. But we take time to learn these lessons. Spiritual maturity is gradual. It takes time, and we see that. Rahab probably had faith in God when she was still a prostitute. But we know that she doesn't stay a prostitute. She goes on to learn more about God. She lives a different life. That's how we are. We don't want to let our past dictate our future. I don't want to let those past mistakes get in the way. I don't want that faulty thinking of mine to get in the way of doing something for the Lord. I don't want to fall back on saying, I'm not good enough uh, to do that, or God couldn't possibly care enough about me to have me do that. I want to go forward, and I want to let my faith motivate me to um, be closer to God and to walk with him, to walk closer with him tonight and see what God has for me tomorrow. You know, even Paul, I love this, the great spokesman for God, he... um, was the great evangelist to the Gentiles. He stood for God in so many ways. And yet even Paul had a past that he was not proud of because he um, persecuted the people of God. He put to death the people of God um, before he saw the light, and that was the true light of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says to his letters to, in the, to the Philippians this in chapter 3, 
But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to go forward with my faith, believing that he has great things for me. And I want um, to encourage you for the same thing. Secondly, Rahab consistently and courageously acts on her faith in God. She puts her faith into action, even when it's hard, even when it means risking her life. And I want to be motivated by my faith in God, to put my faith into action consistently. And for me, that I was praying this week, I want to look for natural opportunities to tell others about the reality of God in my life, his love, his presence, his purpose. And you know, it doesn't take much. Did you see? It didn't take much for um, Rahab to hear about God to believe in him. We don't have to say a whole lot. We don't know how God is going to use that. I want to remember that and to really look for natural opportunities to say those things. And I want to do what God wants me to do consistently. You know, sometimes it's hard to know what God wants us, but the Bible gives us a lot of direction. One thing, he tells us to be kind to people, to be generous and to show mercy to the friendless and to the forgotten ones and to children to the poor and to the needy. Maybe it's just smiling at people. Just I just need to smile more. Give an encouraging word and be consistent about it. Let my um, faith be put into action. I want to be motivated by my faith, just like Rahab. You know, James talks about faith in action. James, um, the half-brother of Jesus, writes the book of James in the New Testament. And he talks about putting our faith into action. And he says this, in uh, James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? And then in verse 25, he says this, In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? You know, James isn't saying that um, it's our works that brings us salvation. What he's saying is that our saving faith in Jesus should motivate us to action. And he uses Rahab as an example of that. We should be motivated to act for God and his glory and his kingdom. We should let our faith motivate us to do good to others. Rahab's story is a great story. It's about a woman who was um, not only discerning and kind and caring and courageous, but above all, she was a believer in the one true and living God, and her faith motivated her to action. I hope you like the story of Rahab, and I hope you will come back and hear our story next week. So let's uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a mighty God. And you are a merciful God. And Father, what you want from us is that we would trust you, that we would love you and follow you and walk with you, Father. And Lord, when we do that, you use us in such mighty ways, even when we don't do it very well, even when we do it sporadically and, and poorly. Father, you bless us anyway. You use us in so many ways with just the little amount of faith that we um, are motivated to use. Lord, I thank you for the story of Rahab. I thank you for who she was and what she did, Father, because she knew you and she loved you and she was motivated by that faith to do great things for you. 
Lord, I pray for each woman in this room that we would be thinking about this story of Rahab. Lord, that you would um, just, just touch each of our hearts in ways that you want us to know your love and your plan for each one of us. You are a good God, and we love you so very much. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.